Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. This is the second in a series of messages I call Principles That Drive My Life. Well, today we're in part two. Second principle that drives my life is this. I need to put the brakes on and look inside myself. I do this a lot. And ask myself, why do what I do? I I try and do this a lot. In Matthew 23, 25, the Lord says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He says, you clean the outside of the cup, in the dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, now listen, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. It's possible to be shining on the outside. The Pharisees thought they were, they thought they were shining, they thought they were sterling. In Jesus' parable, the Pharisees said, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men. It's possible to look so good on the outside and on the inside be lacking an awful lot. Now here is the point. God sees that. He knows that. He's omniscient. He, know, he sees that. He looks inside you. You know, I go back to John 21 a lot. Jesus, after his resurrection, said to Simon Peter twice, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And each time Peter said yes. Then he asked him one more time, a third time, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And in John 21, 17, Peter said this. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know all things. You know I love you. Now, what's Peter's logic there? Look at the logic. Peter's logic was, if you know all things, Lord, you can see into my heart. Isn't that the logic? If you know all things, you can see into my heart. And what do you know? You know that I love you. And I run to that passage, ladies and gentlemen. I do that because I hate my sin. And there's some sins I hate in myself more than others. Now, here's the tremendous comfort. The Father sees my heart. And he knows I love him. And he knows I hate this sin. And he knows I have a flesh and cave in. But he knows I love him. And he knows I fight those sins. And he knows my heart. And and I can't tell you what a tremendous, tremendous comfort that is. That brings the bomb of God's forgiving love into me all the time. Here's a very bold prayer. In fact, I think this is our memory work for today on your outline. This is Psalm 139, and God inspired this, folks. This is Psalm 139, the last two verses, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. He does, but you're inviting him to do that. See, search me and know my heart. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. David's saying, look into my heart, and if see anything that offends you, do what you have to do to get rid of it. The Apostle Paul writes, and there's a number of passages on your outline to look at this, how God sees the heart and sees our motives. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and this is verse 5, but what Paul is saying here is Paul is saying, I can't judge myself. He says, if I look at myself, I think I'm a pretty good guy. He says, my conscience is clear. He says, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent before God. And that's why he says in 5 of 1 Corinthians 4, he says, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what's hidden in darkness. Now listen, and he will expose the 
the motives of your heart. Right. God sees why you do things. The motives of your heart. And then I look at James 4, 3, and here James is talking about prayer, and he says, you're not receiving. Why? Because you're asking the wrong way. He says, there it is again, you're asking with wrong motives. So God's not answering your prayer. Why? Because he sees the heart it's coming out of, see? Always got to look inside. It's a principle in my life. When I pray, I need to ask myself, I need to look inside and ask myself, is my motive to get, to get God to do it the way I think he should do it? Or is my motive to submit my will to God's will? It's all about looking inside, all about looking at motives, see? I have to look at myself and ask myself those questions. Folks, I got to deal with myself. It's a principle of life. One more, one more. Proverbs 16.2, man. I mean, this is so true. All a man's ways seem innocent to him. But the next part, Proverbs 16, 2, but the motives, the why we do things, are weighed by the Lord. My ways seem perfectly innocent to me. I'm great. <laughs> but my motives, why I do things, are weighed by the Lord. That's, that, that's, I don't want it to be frightening because we're, we're, we're forgiven in Christ. But man, there's got to be a little bit of holy terror there, I'll tell you. God knows why we do things. And, there, and here, here, here's some of the why questions I ask myself. And this is personal. But you have to ask yourself questions that pertain to your life. These are the hard questions I ask myself. I ask myself, why do I want the church to grow? Do I really care that people without Jesus Christ are lost for eternity? Do I really care about that? Do I really care that people need the word of truth to grow them up in the Lord and help them to handle life? Or is my motive this? I'm really concerned about numbers. I want people to see a big, full church so they can say, oh, he really knows how to do it, man. Oh, what a success he is. And then who's getting the glory? And I got to ask myself, just, uh, that's personal. I got to deal with that question myself. I always ask myself that question. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Here's another one. Do I really care about people? Or do I say to myself, well, if I don't do this, I'm going to look really bad. Ever say that? I mean, that's a hard question. I mean, here's another one. I'll ask myself and you ask yourself. Do I tell people good things about themselves because I want to stay on their good side or because I don't need another person upset with me or I, I just may need what this person has to offer somewhere down the road in my life? Folks, there is a big difference between flattery for your own purposes and genuine encouragement. And you know what? Sometimes I become very self-critical. And that's an extreme you don't. I look inside and I become very critical of myself. That's an extreme you don't want to go to either. Because as believers, we do live in the light of the Father's forgiveness through Jesus Christ. We have that forgiveness. But one reason I look inside myself and ask myself those questions, this is one reason, is there's a world of people out there who are lost either to eternal life or they're hurting real bad. And I want to be genuine with these people. I want to really be genuine. And I want... I want those people to sense that I'm genuine, that I really care. Because you and me are the mouthpiece. I mean, we are the arms and the legs of Jesus Christ himself. And we, listen, we, think about this sometimes. We represent Christians. We represent all of Christianity to a lot of people out there. And I keep going back to another one here, 1 John 4, verse 12. It reads like this. No one has ever seen God. Just think about this. Just listen. Don't look for this. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, 
God lives in us. In other words, they see God in us. And his love is what? Made complete in us. They don't see God, but his love is made complete. That means worked out, seen, reflected in us. Where his arms, his legs, his mouthpiece. And listen, folks, people can spot a phony. And the reason this is a driving principle of my life is because I never want to be phony with God or with man. I can fake my way through a lot of stuff but I can never fake it with God. You can't. He sees inside, man. He knows, he knows, he knows, he knows you. He knows what's inside you. He knows why I do things. He knows, he knows if I do things to glorify me or glorify, or to or glorify him. The Father in heaven knows all that stuff. And see, when the Father in heaven brings somebody into my life, let's say he brings somebody into my life, and I think like this. I say, okay, God, you brought him or her into my life at this moment, and so now I need to forget what I'm doing and give that person what he or she needs because you brought him into my life. And I'm willing to do that. And I'm willing to make that change. I have a willing heart to make that change. See, God sees that. Or, he, or, or he'll also see an unwilling heart, see. See, that is an inward desire to fit in with God's purposes for you. And he sees that heart. And see, what I'm trying to say is when you have that right heart, then other people are going to sense that too. I mean, if you're doing this to glorify God and you're doing this because this is your heart, other people are going to sense that. And then your ministry to them, whatever you do for them is going to be very genuine. See, here's the principle this morning. Here's the principle. What you are on the inside will always show on the outside. You can't hide it. I do not want my prayer life, for instance, to be just a duty. I, I, I work at that prayer life, and you need to work at yours. Because when I can be open and honest with God, not just mechanical and not just rote, when I can be open and honest with God, then see, I really sense growth there. I, I sense growth in the relationship. We're growing in relationship, and we're growing in intimacy. And that's very, very important. Folks, do you know how much it means to bring something that's troubling to you to God in prayer? Let me say this again, because this is so important. You don't know how much it means, or maybe you do. I'm sure a lot of you do. To bring something that's troubling to you before the Father in prayer, and in your heart, you really want him in this. That's your heart. You're not just going to God because, okay, it's the right thing to pray now, so I'm going to pray. I mean, you really want him in this. See, God, when you really want him in this, it's coming out of here. And God knows that, see. He knows it. He, he knows if it's rote, they just try to blow him off. You ask the right thing to pray. Or he knows if you really want him in this. I mean, you believe, I really need you, Father in heaven, because without your wisdom, without your leading, I will mess this up. And then, see, I can pray a prayer like that and leave that prayer with confidence. And then I can do what I have to do with confidence. And if it doesn't work out the way I had hoped it would work out, I, I can deal with that. That's okay. You know why? Because with a trusting heart, I said, Father, unless you take this thing where it needs to go, I am going to mess it up royally. And so if it doesn't go the way I want it to go, that's okay. You'll be able to leave a prayer like that and let happen what's going to happen because you committed this thing to the Lord. And he saw your heart. And when the heart's right, see, this is, I don't know, I, I hope this gets through. When the heart's right and you really want his leading, 
he will lead you because he sees your heart. And if it doesn't go where you want it to go, that's okay because he's out front because that was your heart. How do we get the right heart? How does the Holy Spirit work? Folks, I, I really can't tell you what, what the process, what goes on inside my heart. I really can't tell you the process. I just know the Father does work inside me, and he changes mine and your inner man. I, I look at the importance of this in, in Ephesians chapter 3. This is a very, very important passage. Important Ephesians 3.16. This is Paul's prayer for his church. Paul is the pastor of the church at Ephesus. He began this church. Well, God began it through him. And so this is like a pastoral prayer for the people in the Ephesian church. And here's what he prays. Look at this, 3.16. There's a lot of great 3.16 passages in the Bible. This is one of them. I, I, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit, where? In your inner being, see? In your inner man, in your inner being. That's what Paul's praying for. Why would he pray for something like that? Because Paul knew that if the externals were going to change, it had to change internally first. Nothing on the outside is going to change. Hear me, unless the inside person changes first. And that's why Paul prays this prayer. Again, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with his power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And you got to ask yourself, are you changing in here? You may be saying, well, I'm so negative. I don't have much joy in my life. I don't have much hope. I'm very selfish. I don't give myself to people easily. And you wonder why. You wonder why you're not changing. Folks, you have to want to change. And see, that means you've got to look inside yourself. I don't want you to get boring in this self-introspection, but there's times you've got to look inside yourself and say, you know, what am I thinking? Why, why am I doing what I'm doing? Or how come I'm not changing? And you got to want to change. And then you, I'm serious, man. You got to cry out to God to work in your heart. And I'll tell you what, when I pray for myself, and I don't only pray for myself, I mean, but when I do pray for myself, more than anything, the number one thing I ask for is the right heart, the right motives. I ask for motives. You got to desire it, mean it, ask for it. And then number two, this is the way your heart changes. Number two, you, you got to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. If there's nothing inside you to work with, the Holy Spirit cannot change you. That's a principle you got to know. If there's nothing inside you to work with, the Spirit of God can, will, he can't, I'm not going to say he can't, but he won't. You got to have something inside you to work with. The Spirit's not going to change you unless there's something he can work with inside you. And I know you really have to delve into God's word. I mean, you're, 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 well, you know, I get to bed late and I got to get up early and, and I don't have time, 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 time. If you don't want to change, then don't do it. Because he, 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 he cannot, he, he not can't, he will not change you unless there's something inside you to work with. Don't look for an easy road. I mean, folks, every time you personally study the word of God, every time you hear it taught, listen to CDs. I mean, every time you're into that word of God, you can tell yourself, I'm changing. That should really make you hungry for the word of God because you know you need to change in given areas of your life. And, that, and you know you're not going to change without the word, right? Go to these um, motivational seminars. 
They'll tell you there's a power within you. They're just lying to you. You will not change unless, it's, unless there's something in you to affect that change. And when you are into the word of God, just tell yourself, man, I'm, I'm changing. Now, now I'm bringing about change. I mean, good things are going to happen to me. I mean, I mean, you open up that book. I mean, I mean you, you go to a Bible study. You go to a small group. You put a CD in the table. T- man, I tell you, good things are happening to you. Now, now you're becoming the man or woman God wants you to be. You want to change from the inside out. It's got to begin in here and work its way out. You will never be more hopeful, more joyful, more giving, less critical, more submissive, a better listener, less focused on yourself until it happens in here. And just make this a a rule of life. No word of God, no change. No word, no change. No word, no change. No word, you're saying, I commit myself to the mediocre life I have. You're committing yourself to no change, no growth, mediocrity. No change, no word, no word of God. Baby, you ain't gonna change. Or you may change by your own human efforts, your own human will. But I gotta tell you up front, that's not God pleasing. The Spirit can only change you when you have something inside of you to work with. That's why I look at myself on the inside. It's a driving principle of my life. I don't wanna fake it with God, I don't wanna fake it with people. Here's another reason I have to look inside myself and do some self evaluation because I, I gotta see if there's any idols in my life. I got to look at idols. An idol is anything I love more than, than Jesus Christ himself. And, and you got to look in your heart and see if there's any idols there. And that, that's where, man, I got to be ruthless with myself. And I got to go to Revelation chapter 2, which is, is kind of, it's ruthless. John, the apostle, well, he's, he's being punished for a crime. And the crime is, he said, Caesar is not Lord. He was the bishop or the leader of the church in Ephesus. And he said, John said to his people, he's preaching, he said, Caesar is not Lord. He said, Jesus Christ is Lord. He was kind of an old guy at that time, so they, they didn't execute him or, or throw him in, in, in the, the arena with the lions, but they banished him to the island of Patmos, P-A-T-M-O-S, a small work island. And he's kind of an old guy, so he probably didn't have to do a lot of work, but they said, okay, we're going to banish you to this island, and that's your punishment for saying only Jesus Christ is Lord. So on that island of Patmos, John the Apostle well, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Christ in all his glory, that's in, that's in chapter one of Revelation, appears to, the, appears to John. And the Lord tells John to write and to write to seven different churches. I want you to write a message to seven different churches in Asia Minor, which today would be Turkey and Greece. Now, in Revelation 2, the first of these seven churches John writes to would be the church where he was the head guy, the church in Ephesus. Now, look at this, chapter 2, verse 1, Revelation. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write... Now, the angel, and I I need Bible commentaries to know this, but the angel is the pastor. (laughs) Fits, doesn't it, huh? (laughs) Ask my wife, you're married to an angel, right? (laughs) I'm serious. The angel is the pastor because the word angel, angelos, in Greek means messenger. That's what it means. It means messenger, okay? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. The stars are the elders, the leaders, man. These, are, these guys are stars, man. No, he meant stars in the sky. But that's the leadership of the church, okay? So he holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. The seven golden lampstands is the mission of the church, the light they exude to the world, okay? Now, here's what he says, verse two. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. 
You have persevered, you have endured hardships for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Man, that is some high praise from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, they've examined these false teachers, false doctrine, and they said, we want nothing to do with you. We want poor doctrine. This church stood by the truth. They have persevered. They've endured hardships for the sake of Christ. And in verse 3, they have not grown weary. That is some highfalutin praise. Now, verse 4 should really make you think. Me too. Yet, I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. They have an idol. Look at this. Remember the height from which you've fallen. How do you get it back? Repent and do the things you did at first. The Lord says to John, say this to the church at Ephesus. I see you're doing all the right stuff. It's possible to do all the right stuff. But you've lost your first love. That can happen. That's why we look inside. We're back to that question again. Why are you doing it? I mean, you're testing preachers to see if they have perfect doctrine. You're persevering in my name. You're hanging in there. But why are you doing it? Man, don't you need to ask yourself questions like that? I mean, who's your first love? They love perfect doctrine. Oh, they love persevering. They're enamored with it. Oh, I'm persevering. But they lost their first love. They lost the love they had for Jesus Christ, the burning passion. It wasn't there. And this should hit home, folks. It makes me stop and think and look inside. Is Jesus Christ my first love? That's why I look inside. Is there an idol in my life? Do I love him above all else? Anything that replaces your love for Christ is an idol. Anything you love more in this world than him is an idol. We're talking about idolatry, and we have to stop and take a look at our hearts again to see if there's any idols in our, in our hearts. The first commandment, commandment number one, is you shall have no other gods before me. That is the number one commandment. Number one, by God's design, that is the number one commandment. You got to know this. God is a jealous God. You got this from the Truth Project, Exodus 34, 14. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous, he's a jealous God. He don't want you to love anything more than him. He's a jealous God. All I have to do is look at Abraham. I mean, if you read Genesis, read Genesis 12 to 18, know what you're going to see? You're going to see how God appeared to Abraham. And they're always walking together. They're always talking together. And then Isaac is born. And all of a sudden, that intimate fellowship stops. Because Abraham had a new love. His child, Isaac, God was no longer his first love. And so you get down to Genesis 22. In Genesis 22, in Genesis 22, God had to test Abraham. Look at this. Sometime later, what did God do? He tested. See, I got that circle. He tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, he replied, here I am, Lord. And then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. He's your first love now, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Take him to this mountain and kill him as a blood sacrifice to me. Now, verse 1 says God was testing Abraham, so we know he never intended that Abraham should kill his son as a human sacrifice. But man, you got to get into Abraham. God had to show Abraham that he had a new first love, and it wasn't him. And Abraham struggles with this. And so he's walking toward that, he's walking toward that Mount Moriah. He's walking to the place where he's going to have to kill his own son. I mean, he's walking there. And what's he doing? I mean, he's struggling with this whole thing. He's saying, I, I got to do this, but it's going to kill me too. And he's thinking like this. He said, the Lord told me to do this, and I don't understand it. 
And it doesn't make any sense. But then he said, God said it, and I will do it. At that point, the Lord became Abraham's first love again. But he had to go through that. So he raises a knife to plunge into Isaac, and God stops and provides a ram for the sacrifice. And what God's saying is, I had to show you, Abraham, that you lost your first love, and I had to put you through this so, so you could work it out in here, in your heart. You know, if you love me above all things, because I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. And the point for you and me is this. If you've replaced God with an idol in your life, if you love anything more than him, then, then, then God's going to deal with you. He'll get you to a point where you've got to work this out in your heart and soul. And, and he dealt with Abraham in kind of a tough way. And if there is an idol in your life, it may get tough. Let me just tell you right up front, it may get tough. So look inside, deal with yourself, and, and, and ask yourself, what do, I, what do I love more than the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, for the people in this Ephesians church, I mean, it was themselves. Oh, we've suffered for Jesus and endured it. I mean, that could happen to me. Oh, we have perfect doctrine. You know, I could get very smug about that. That very self-righteous, see? Very, oh, I have perfect doctrine. You know, I always want to present the word of God the way it is, in all its truth. But that could, be, you know, that, 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 that could become such an idol in my life. I, you know, I, the things you're good at could become an I, I, I don't want anything to be an idol in my life. I don't want to be, see, see, the number one idol is yourself. Your number one idol is your self-righteousness. That's why you have the first commandment, man. You shall have no other gods before me, and you could be that number one idol. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School. 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.